Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Uh, my answer to that question was any place warmer than here would be a good choice. I want to welcome you. I don't know about you, but I've already sensed God's presence here. I'm so grateful to Pastor Phil for leading us in communion. It was very, very meaningful. Good to be with you all today. Yeah, give it up for Pastor Phil. <laughs> Not long ago, I received a text from my older daughter, and it was in capital letters, which means you must pay attention. She had just gone to a movie with her husband, Will, and she told us it was one of the best movies of the decade, and we had to see it as soon as possible. So I took that big recommendation, and my husband and I went to see the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Have any of you seen this movie? Yes. A few of you, okay. <laughs> it's extremely difficult to describe, I'm not even gonna really try. Um, basically, a relentless onslaught of images. I was trying to figure out the com complex sort of metaverse thing going on there, and the whole movie, I refused to turn sideways and look at my husband's face because I knew he was going to be like, what are we doing here? What is this experience? I really think it's a generational thing, actually. And to be fair, I think the movie is incredibly creative. What I most appreciated was the questions that it posed about alternative life paths. Like, what if the main character had chose a different job or a different spouse or a different place to live? I'm really fascinated by movies that serve up that question of how our lives might have been radically altered by one small shift, by one decision, to go left instead of right. You know, our lives are a series of doorways. Some open, some closed. Options to choose from, forks in the road, kind of the path not taken. And this came to life for me really vividly recently because my husband and I were walking with Samantha and Will through a major life decision. They currently live in Austin, Texas, and they recently gave birth to their first child. What's that you say? You want to see a picture? Okay. <laughs> this is my first grandchild. Yeah, right? Eloise. I had to show two of them. Here's one more. So cute. So cute, yes, we could go on and on. I have more, but I will not bore you with that. But in January, when the baby was just a month old, Samantha was presented with an opportunity to move to Raleigh, North Carolina and become an associate pastor at a church. Now, this was not a possibility that she sought out, but it propelled Sam and Will into a few months of exploration and soul searching and lots of prayer, pros and cons lists, you know, you do that, uh, hours of conversation and eventually a decision to move this summer to Raleigh. Now, my younger daughter is facing some major life decisions as well. So as I walk with them through this process, and as I contemplate my own future, I find myself asking this question. Does God really care where I live? Does God really care where I live? I think this is an especially pertinent question to this community, this Soul City community, because we're a very mobile community. And some of you are new here, maybe you're newer to Chicago. Some of you have been here a while. The pandemic has been a real disruptor for a lot of people in terms of where they live and where they work. 
We're also in that season, aren't we, of graduations and weddings, and maybe you find yourself considering a career change, or a move to a different place, or a next step in a relationship, a possible turning point. As Dr. Seuss wrote in The Places You'll Go, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose, all the places you'll go, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Thinking about alternative paths sometimes stresses us out. I don't know about you, it stresses me out, because I wonder sometimes if life would be massively more wonderful if I had stuck with that boyfriend, or you had kept with that girlfriend, or if I had chosen a different career path or lived in a different city. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I think it's scary to think that maybe, maybe God has a kind of roadmap for our lives and we just can't seem to find it or follow it. And we're haunted by the question, what if we miss it? What if he has this plan for us and we don't know what it is? So together, we're going to explore this question to understand whether God really cares about where we live and whether the place we are in matters. Now, the Bible is full of stories of men and women who were sometimes compelled to make a major move and sometimes to follow a path that they did not see coming. So we're going to look at one of those stories in the Old Testament book of Ruth. This story is so powerful. It's only four chapters, but it could be a major motion picture. I think it could be even better than everything, everywhere, all at once. So I invite you to grab a Bible. It's under the seat in front of you, or if you're at home, you can grab your Bible or watch the screen. We're going to go to page 210 in the Bibles in front of you and dig into this fascinating story, starting with the very first uh, verse of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. Now, let's pause for just a moment. This little family, family of four, two parents and two boys, leave their hometown of Bethlehem because they don't want to starve in the famine. Now, they're going to the country of Moab. This was uh, actually a country that was enemies of Israel, and they worshipped idols. And after 10 years of living in that country, both the father and his two sons died, leaving Naomi as a widow with her two daughters-in-law. So let's go to verse 6. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, this is back in Judah, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, she had a second thought here, she says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Go back to Moab. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So Naomi is thinking about this very seriously. She kisses both of the young women, and they all cry together. But she was insistent that they go back to Moab because she was hoping they would find husbands. In that culture, a woman without a husband had a hard chance to just survive. But the girls don't want to obey. So Naomi tries again. Eventually, one of them, Orpah, by the way, true story, 
The name Orpah is where Oprah got her name, but her parents got the letters mixed up, and that's honest truth. I know, you wanted to know that this morning. It's very, very, very important. So the speech that Ruth gives to her mother-in-law, Orpah decides to go back to Moab, but the speech that Ruth gives is often used at weddings. It's really incredible. It's in verse 16. Take a look at this. Ruth replies, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So both of these young women have made a choice. Ruth couldn't have known what was ahead for her. She was about to become a part of a much larger story. In the second chapter of this book, we learn about a man named Boaz. He was a distant relative of Naomi, and he was a very wealthy landowner. He treated Ruth with kindness, and Naomi gets an idea. So she starts essentially giving dating advice to Ruth of how she can attract this man, and it works. And so Boaz had to make some complex legal maneuvers in order to be able to marry Ruth, but he was able to do that. Together they had a son, and there's one last really cool fact to this story. Their son's name was Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, as in King David. So Ruth's story became intertwined with the story of Jesus, who was called the son of David. And Ruth is one of his ancestors. He has some Moabites in his bloodline. Isn't that amazing? Now this story reveals these two women making two very different choices. And Orpah likely had a good life. I imagine she found a husband back in Moab. But Ruth chose door number two leading her to this adventurous story as an ancestor of the Savior of the world. God honored both of the women's paths. Clearly in Scripture, there are some moments when God does care deeply about where we will live. In fact, God instructed Abraham to leave his hometown, and he only told him that he would take him to a land I will show you. Very vague. He had to trust in God's GPS in that moment. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to. John Ortberg wrote Dr. Seuss style about Jonah's response to the Lord. I would not go there in a boat. I would not go there in a float. I would not go there in a gale. I would not go there in a whale. I do not like the people there. If they all died, I would not care. I will not go to that great town. I'd rather choke. I'd rather drown. I will not go by land or sea, so stop this talk and let me be. Love John's sense of humor. God guided the Apostle Paul in the New Testament to very specific cities, and then there were some where God said, do not go there. So there are times when the answer to the question, does God really care where I live, is a great big yes. However, however, and this may shock you, I think more times than not, God doesn't care all that much with where you and I choose to live at least not in comparison to how much God cares about who we are becoming. Ortberg writes that God is primarily in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business. God's will for my life is centered mainly in the person he wants me to become. 
Now, most of the decisions you and I face about job or geography or even relationships offer us multiple options. And I believe that most of the time, God simply says, you decide. You decide. Our God can work in us and through us, whichever path we choose. And if there's a big big reason that God does have a preference, he's more than able to communicate that to us. He can let us know. He's not playing hide-and-seek, putting us on a frustrating treasure hunt that's confusing and vague. That's not how God works. If he wants to let us know a path, he will make that clear. When God does care where we live, he impresses it on us over time. But let me underscore once more this principle. God cares more about who I am becoming than where I live. And yet, there is a power of place that I think we need to understand together. I read a great book recently by Pastor Daniel Grothy called The Power of Place. And he argues that we live in a wanderlust society. You know this is true. People move often and quickly. We're always seeking greener grass in some other place. Sometimes we move or change jobs or abandon relationships simply because we're avoiding conflict. It gets hard, right? It gets hard. Pastor Phil said this morning, we have our exit strategies. You know, we decide, you know what, I don't want to deal with this relationship anymore or I don't want people to know me this well, so I'll start over. I'll go someplace else. And then we bring all our issues, all our problems with us to that new place. We think, I'll just turn the page. I'll pick door number two or door number three, and everything will be better. This wanderlust is really new in terms of history. If you look at the sweep of history, people used to stay put more often. In fact, there was like a vow of stability. And we once referred to people as St. Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Calcutta, Augustine of Hippo, Jesus of Nazareth. Daniel Grothy thinks we've lost something significant when we fail to put down roots somewhere. He says every move is an emotional reset. Now, we read about in the news right now, if you've been in Chicago a while or in Illinois, you know there's a mass migration out of our city. And the truth is our city has a lot of challenges. You know this. I know this. There's issues of violence and racism. There's issues of the economy and really high taxes and many governors who've visited jail and all kinds of things going on in this great state of ours. Um, but we're so quick to want to leave. Uh, Tennessee seems to be a favorite place for many people. Um, but here's the challenge. Here's the challenge from Daniel Grothy. He says, find your place, find your people, and try to die there. Find your place, find your people, and try to die there. He isn't saying we should never move, but we should seek some stability, seek to stay put until God makes it crystal clear maybe it's time to move. Grothy is pushing against this culture of impermanence that we live in, right? So he asks, if we are contemplating a move, how would we know where to go? Like, are there guidelines to finding a new place? What would be helpful? This was really a great book for Samantha and Will as they weighed the question of Austin, Texas versus Raleigh, North Carolina. And there's an acronym uh, in Daniel's book that I want to share with you, and this just might be a helpful tool for some of you. The acronym is the word DROPS, D-R-O-P-S. Let me walk us through it. The D is for desire, desire. 
Now we might think that God doesn't care that much about our desires, but the truth is he does. In the Psalms it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God cares about what makes us excited, how you feel about a certain place. Uh, I went to Raleigh to visit with uh, Sam and Will, mostly to take care of little Eloise, and uh, I noticed how much they were drawn to the beauty of the place. It really spoke to them and to the energy of the place. So it's okay, it's not the only question, believe me, but it's okay to ask, how do I feel? Do I have a desire to be in this place? Now, one of the most important ones is R for relationships. If we're ever going to find our people, we have to ask whether a place has potential for us to establish friendships, to find a place to belong. If you're contemplating a move, is there a church community that you're aware of that you think might be a fit for you, where you could enter in and have relationships and friendships? To be honest, this is the one that was the weakest for Sam and Will because they have a lot of friends in Austin, but even more so here in Chicago, along with Aunt Johanna and grandparents, yes. So Chicago was tilting more that way a little bit. But when they went to Raleigh, they saw great potential in this church community for future friendships. Now let's talk about O. The O is for opportunity. Opportunity. Is there a possibility in a given place for you to earn a living? Even more importantly, for you to thrive in some way. And that's very closely connected to the next few. P is for purpose. Purpose. Is this a place where your deep gladness and the world's need can meet? Is this a place where God can put your gifts into play? Do you see potential for that? And then the last letter is S for skills. Is this a place where your unique skills might be needed and wanted? That was part of what was so clear to me in Raleigh because the role that they have designed for my daughter is such a fit for her. It's, it's so obviously who she is, and I think she's going to be able to thrive in that place. Now, Grothy says that place demands something of us that we could not have known until we get there. The place tells you what it needs from you. When you and I put down roots somewhere for a long time, we open ourselves up to being shaped and formulated by a network of relationships, by a community of faith, people who see not just our strengths, but also our limits, people who over time just a few in that community. You need some people who will speak truth to you, people who know you well, people who will hold you accountable, people who will help you and me become more like Jesus. Because remember, that's God's primary agenda. When we cut and run, that spiritual formation is less likely to happen. Ruth chose to put down roots in Bethlehem. Where are you putting down roots? Or are you in a season, perhaps some of you, in a season of decision-making about possibly making a change? You know, back in the 1500s, long time ago, there was a young nobleman. His name was Ignatius, and he came from a family of means, and he was contemplating two different paths. One was a path to go into the family business, and the other thing he dreamed about was maybe going into the ministry, becoming a full-time servant of God. We know him now as St. Ignatius because he made that second choice. But as he was going through this process, he wrote down some spiritual exercises that are very helpful. You could Google this uh, if you want to learn more. But I want to offer you an experiment with one of these exercises. It's helped me several times when I've been at a crossroad. It's called Consolation Desolation. 
Consolation is when you check your internal spirit and you have a sense of well-being, a sense of peace, you can breathe, a sense of joy. And desolation is, of course, the opposite, when you feel anxious or afraid or maybe sad, uh, low energy. So Ruth Haley Barton uses this Ignatius tool for making decisions, and she uses it kind of like this. Let's say, we'll keep it simple, we're only going to have two options. Let's say you're choosing between city A and city B. So let's say one is Detroit and one is Fiji. That's not a, that's not a good com- comparison, is it? Okay, let's make it just city A and city B, okay? You're choosing between these two. And what Ruth suggests is you walk around hypothetically for a couple days in your mind, you're just pretending now, as if you chose city A, okay? You walk around for a couple days and say, that's what I'm going to choose. And, and then you check your spirit as you think about it for a couple days. Do you feel energized? Do you feel content? Do you feel peaceful? Or do you feel almost like a weight? Do you feel a sense of loss or low energy and, and maybe anxiety? And then you switch. So for a couple days, you walk around as if you chose city B. And you say, God, what are you whispering to my spirit? What impressions are you making on me with this option? Does it feel more like consolation or desolation? Now, this is just one tool to help us as we seek to find our place. But for those of you in a season of discernment, I encourage you to give it a try and see what God might impress on your mind and heart. You know, whether you're in the room today or watching online, you currently live in a place. I don't know how long you've been in that place. But I challenge you to commit for now to the place you are in, to truly be there, to actually show up for your neighbors, maybe know your neighbors' names would be a good way to start, to care about making your community more just and more beautiful, to invest in a few deep friendships along the way, to make a contribution to your little corner of the world, wherever it is. I've lived in the Chicago area uh, really my entire life, except for a few college years. And I was reflecting on the power of place recently, and I was thinking about my roots here, and I decided to write something in my journal uh, that I want to share with you. Um, it's, It's a piece that just reminded me of my desire and my reality in this place for so long. Uh, I started by saying, I am Nancy of Chicago. It is the city of my grandparents on both sides. In fact, there's a a cemetery on the south side of Chicago where many of my relatives from both sides are buried under the same tree. One of my grandfathers worked in the old Chicago stockyards, and another grandparent owned a candy store. I was a south side girl born in Englewood until the age of four when my parents joined the white flight to the suburbs. I was formed in ways I did not see as a child with an initial fear of dark-skinned people and seeds of racism that I seek to heal from even today. I love the four distinct seasons, well, sort of love the seasons, and the toughness required to make it through every winter. Winter is always too long, but that suffering magnifies the wonder of spring 
every time when that first daffodil pokes through the hard ground. My home city includes precious people like Warren, Johanna, Tucker, Greg, Corinne, Dan, Lynn, Chip, Carla, and others. Some treasured friends have moved away, and I grieve it every time. I'm a Cubs, Bears, Bulls, and Blackhawks fans. Not always easy. I love Chicago theater and the Art Institute and the gorgeous lakefront and all the fabulous restaurants, especially Lou Malnati's. I have had meaningful work and ministry in this city, participating in the grand adventure of helping to launch a church, a place that formed me. At this point, I intend to likely die in Chicago and be buried here, unless grandparenting or bad health leads to a move. I am Nancy of Chicago. Now, thank you. I encourage you to consider a reflection like that, wherever God has you. Think about the texture of where you are, the place you go get coffee, the familiarity you have saying hello to a certain store owner every day. What is home? What is your place? But the best news I can tell you today is that no matter where you and I live, God is with us in that place. No matter where. There's nowhere on earth you can go that he will not be with you. Whether you're in Decatur or the Dominican Republic, Minneapolis or Mexico, California or Colombia, it doesn't matter. God will be with you. And he cares about you more than he cares about the place you're in. I noticed as I was reading the other day that one of Jesus' last promises to his disciples was about place. He knew they were troubled that he was going to be leaving this earth. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, in my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going, think about that. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. You know, when I look at the beauty of this earth, right now the lavish colors of spring, and I think how God created this place, my mind is blown trying to imagine what would a heavenly place be like that God prepares for you and me. A mansion, a place of ultimate beauty, but most importantly, where we will be with him forever and ever. That is our ultimate home. So wherever you are on this planet, wherever you live here, it's only temporary. One day we get to go to that heavenly place designed for us by our magnificent and loving creator. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what that's going to look like. And so my friends, does God care where you live? Yes and no. He mostly cares about you and he will be with you wherever you are. Wherever place you're in now, if you believe this is the place you're supposed to put down roots, do that. Show up. Recommit. Recommit to where he has you. And if you're in a season of discernment, of possible change, think it through very carefully. See where you feel consolation, where you sense God's spirit say, this is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, ultimately you are our home. And how we thank you that you are with us in whatever place we find ourselves. I pray that 
the men and women listening today will recommit to the place you have for us, God, that we'll show up, that we'll invest, that we won't hide, that we won't isolate, that we will move toward other people and allow you to shape us into the people you want us to become. And for those who are contemplating a change, God, we pray that you will whisper to them, either you decide or maybe in some cases go this way. May they be able to hear you, Father, and follow your guidance. And thank you most of all for our heavenly home that you're preparing for each and every one of us. We can not begin to imagine how glorious and beautiful and warm and loving that will be. And we look forward to that day. In the name of Jesus, who made us that promise, we pray these things. Amen.